I am so glad that you guys have joined us for season five of the Manlyhood Mancast. You guys have made this journey of making this podcast something phenomenal. Honestly, those of you who are a part of our Manlyhood Man Cave Facebook group, uh, the interaction that we have there, those of you who send me messages or talk to me in person, which happens quite a bit, actually, uh, and you let me know what a difference this makes in your life. And honestly, that is super encouraging to me. I am excited and so glad to be a part of creating this content for you. We get to explore the ideas behind masculinity and manhood and what it means to be a good man. And we get to really unpack it and we get to talk about how to be a better man, how we can level up in all areas of our life. And this season is going to be something really exciting. We've started to interview some amazing guests. I'm hoping to bring you one of those every week. Uh, in addition to our, um, our, our shorter form podcasts where I talk about my thoughts, it's really awesome to be able to hear from all kinds of thought leaders in the industry, from influencers, from men who have been there and done that. And honestly, today's guest has been there and done that. Larry Hagner has done some amazing work. He started a podcast. It was The Good Dad Project, and now it's called The Dad Edge and his podcast is highly recognized. It's been recognized in all kinds of uh, publications for men as one of the best podcasts out there for dads, fathers, and for men. So please make sure you check out his work. But his conversation with me was fantastic. I, I loved being able to really get into the meat and the heart of what makes this guy tick. And I think you guys are going to appreciate it too. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher. Larry, it is great to have you on the Manlyhood Mancast. Uh, I really appreciated the the work that you're doing at uh, the Good Dad Project and the Dad the Dad Edge. Tell me more about your story and, and what you're doing. Uh, so, where do you want me to start? I can start. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I really think that this whole thing actually started when I was a kid. If I'm just being real with you, uh, so I'm happy to start there. Uh, definitely have a story to share that. Uh, probably most people haven't heard or experienced. So I can definitely do that if you want. Sure. All right, cool. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm 45. I grew up, uh, my parents, my mom, and biological father were married in 71. They were married about four years, had me in 75. And then it was about nine months after I was, I was born, they completely split up. Um, from what I understand, I think the divorce was really bitter because he just completely, you know, left. And, um, so I remember, you know, I'm 45. I remember being four years old. I remember being in preschool and it was just me and my mom. And I remember these men coming to pick up their kids from, from preschool. And so I knew what a dad was. I still remember this, like guys coming in in suits and, you know, maybe they were painters. They'd come in like full of paint, but I saw men and I knew what a dad was and I knew we didn't have one, but I didn't, it didn't make any difference to me because I didn't know any different. I just figured moms go out and find dads. 
So when I was four, my mom had been dating this guy that she'd been working with. I never met him. She decided to have him over for dinner one night. And I'll never forget, man. I'll never forget this. Like the guy walks in our house and he's got a suit on. He's a white collar data software engineer. He's got a double Windsor tie. He's got the vest. He's got the trench coat. He's got a briefcase, the handlebar mustache, his hair is feathered. But it was the first time I ever saw like this male presence, like walk through my door. I was like, wow, man, this is crazy. This must be what a dad is, right? So like the very first question I asked this guy, I shake his hand and I ask him, are you going to be my dad? And I just remember like the oxygen man just being sucked out of the room. Like my mom, like I felt like even my mom might've gasped for a second. Like, oh my God, I can't believe he just asked that. And I, what I truly believe though is I think my mom took that as a sign, you know, and within a year they were married. I was in the wedding and uh, they were married for six years. And what I can tell you is if anybody who ever knew my stepdad and he adopted me and everything, I actually still to this day have his last name. Um, they would tell you, man, yeah, that guy's the most polite guy in the world. He's so nice. Everything is pleased and thank you and gentle and empathy and all this stuff, right? And he was when he was sober. And then when he drank, whew, it was a totally different side. It was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And I can tell you uh, without a shadow of a doubt that um, there were beatings, you know, there was slaps to the face. There was, you know, pushing me down. There was throwing me like all this stuff. And I remember every year that they were married up until I was 10, it just got worse and worse. Um, at one point he lost his job when I was about nine. And that's when I remember their relationship just completely crumbled. You know, he would sleep downstairs on the cold tile floor. Um, my mom would sleep upstairs. There were times as a kid, I'd go down there and make sure he was still alive. It was just crazy. And then when they parted ways, I, I've never seen him since. In fact, I know I, I got word about seven years ago, he passed away, but I've never yeah. seen him since I was 10. So lost my biological father, lost my stepdad before the age of 10. At that point in time, I really started to ask questions like, hey, where did I even come from? Like, you know, he obviously wasn't my dad. I remember being in the wedding. My mom told me about being married. She showed me photos of their wedding. So I knew this guy's name, knew what he looked like. I remember like sneaking away and grabbing their wedding album just so I could see this guy's face. So I could see like, well, what does he look like? What, what, was, what, what was he like? Like I would study these photos and be like, what, what was he like? And then when I was 12, so just two years later, I actually met him kind of by mistake though. It was not on purpose. It was a mistake. I won't get into the details of why um, or how, but we ended up having this relationship uh, he was remarried at the time, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And our relationship lasted six months. And I remember the beginning of that relationship, I was so jazzed to be reunited with my dad. I called him dad right out of the gate. Like, I was just like, I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be the most epic relationship ever. I wanted it so bad. And what I could tell was, is there was some discomfort there with him. Like I always felt, right? And then the very last month that we were, had this relationship, I could tell it's kind of like the best way I could describe it is imagine dating someone and they're not into you anymore. And you just, yeah. it's never said, but it's felt right. And I knew that there was something there. And I always have, and I've always had this ability to read people, even as a kid. And I remember going to him and having this conversation at 12 and saying, Hey, 
what's going on? I feel like something's not right. And I don't remember exactly what words were used, but that was the end of our relationship. And the theme that really came out of that conversation was it's, it's me, it's not you. And this is complicated. And that's, and then we parted ways and that was devastating, man. Um, I kind of gave up, I became really overweight, um, ate my emotions away, um, gave up on a lot of things. I failed the eighth grade, had to do eighth grade twice. Um, I got into a good high school. I actually went to college, finished college, uh, met my college sweetheart, married her. And then this story kind of ends, but yet begins when I was 30, 30 years old, married at a business meeting at a coffee house here in St. Louis, had my first son on the way. Uh, one, one thing I can tell you about Starbucks is two things, two things are, are certain. Number one, you'll always pay, overpay for coffee. That's number one. Number two, you might run into a biological parent that you haven't seen in 18 years. And my dad came walking through that coffee shop that day. And I knew exactly who he was. He was just a little older, but still looked the same. And I won't go into the details of how we actually met, but we did. And here we are 16 years later, and I've got a relationship with him. Now, what I can tell you is I grew up, my mom was married a total of three times. She dated several men between each marriage. Every guy was the same guy, just a different face and different name. A partier, alcohol drugs, um, really didn't want much to do with me, everything to do with my mom, always some, some level of severe toxicity in there, you know, that, that just didn't sit right. So I knew when I became a father, I was like, I'm going to be a good father. And the things that happened to me are not going to happen on my watch. And what I could tell you is I spent the first six years of being a father lost without patience, without any skills. I was winging it. I was doing fatherhood from kind of like this arm's length. I wasn't really in my life, my kids' lives very much as much as I wanted to be, but I just didn't know how. And Dad Edge started uh, almost 10 years ago and it started on a really dark moment. Um, my 13 year old who was four at the time, stepped out of line. I spanked him, he hit the ground um, and when that happened, I went to go pick him up and he had this look of absolute terror in his eyes. Like he looked at me like I was a monster. And I, in that moment, I saw myself because I remember getting beatings like that. And I, in that moment, I was like, I can't believe I just did this. Like, this is exactly what I've set out not to do. And what I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, whatever we resist, it will persist. It's kind of like if I tell you not to think of the word elephant, right? Um, and I was doing all the things that I was trying to set out not to do. And it was in that moment, I was like, that's it. That's it. And I went into my office and I did what every single adult does when they have a bad moment. I went and got on social media to just distract myself. Literally had tears in my eyes as I'm scrolling full through Facebook, trying to forget what I just did. And I saw this button in the left-hand corner. It said, create a page. I don't know what it was. I'm a big faith guy. Uh, I believe that that was the hand of God just saying, uh, this is the time for you to surrender and learn how to do this. I hit that button. I wrote the words, the good dad project started a page and the good dad project was me. I was the project. And I decided in that moment, I'm going to learn something new every day and I'm going to post it here and I'm not going to do it for a following. I could care less if anybody follows me, but I'm going to just post things here and keep a record of what I'm learning. 
And that was it. A year later, started a blog. 2015, started the podcast, wrote my first book. 2016, we started Dad Edge Alliance, our mastermind to help men optimize the five dimensions of being a husband, father, and man. Um, and here we are, 750 episodes into the podcast, um, oh, almost 700 members in our mastermind. Um, it has been the most fulfilling work on the planet. And what I can tell you is that when it comes to fatherhood and marriage, all these things are skills. All of them are skills, but we don't look at it that way. We, we look at it as I should know how to do this naturally. This should come naturally to me because I love my family. And then we self-sabotage because we don't know how to do it. And there's nothing more freeing than learning skills that you can implement into being a better man, husband, and father to connect with your kids, communicate with your wife, elevate intimacy, all these things that are so important that most of us we just don't know how to do it. But yeah, that's how everything was birthed. Dude, I am really thankful that you shared the story from the beginning. You know, a lot of people pick up with, oh, hey, we've got a podcast, we've got a blog, and I'm doing this and doing that. And um, honestly, even a lot of men who have grown up in your situation don't, don't talk about it. They'll say, oh, man, I never really had a dad. Right. And, you know... Like there's a story there and I think our, that story really matters to a lot of people. And I'm, I'm thankful that you shared it. I think it, uh, thank you. I think that when we look at that and we're real with it, we can start working through what it means, you know, and, and manlyhood is the same way. You know, it started out of, I mean, I had a great dad who really invested in me and I'm so thankful and grateful for that. And, you know, it changed my world in so many ways because it could have been, a completely different story, but, um, I knew that there were things that I needed to work on and things that I needed to learn. And I found myself at a rock bottom moment too, you know, and I'm like, all right, what do I know for sure? You know, <laughs> what things do I know that are true? And that's kind of what started it was just me trying to remind myself of the things that my dad taught me, the things that I knew that were true so that I could learn it and work through it. And, yeah, similar. I mean, you know, I, I tell people all the time, man, when we post something, we talk about something, it's as much for me as it is for you, you know? Amen. Amen to that. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, so I love that you are taking your journey and your process. And then you're also saying, let's do this together. You know, you're inviting people to join you in it. And, um, what does it look like now for your family? You know, you talked about that moment where your 13 year old was four and it was a scary moment. What does it look like now? What does your family look like? So what it looks like now is I'm still married uh, by the grace of God to the, to the same woman. We've been, we'll, we'll celebrate um, 18 years of marriage this year. I've known her for 25 years. I met her in 1996 when she was a freshman in college. I was a sophomore. We have four boys. I have a 15-year-old. I have a 13-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And, you know, not every day is sunshine and rainbows, right? There are bad moments. There are good moments every single day. Um, but what I can tell you is that, um, and, I, and, I, and I, I say this with a lot of gratitude, and because I've been, I've been blessed with a lot of grace. Um, I've got an excellent relationship with all four of my boys. Um, I have an incredible relationship 
with my two older ones, especially. And I can, I don't say that to compare to the littles that are seven and five, but it's different. They're like young adults now. Right. And, you know, what I can tell you is over time, these things didn't happen by accident, but my kids will tell me anything. Some of the things that they tell me, I'm like, I would never, I wouldn't have said that out loud to a trusted individual. No one when I was at their age, right. Could be something that they're doing, something that they're seeing, whatever else. Right. But I've, I've really prided myself on creating what's called an environment of psychological safety with my kids to where we have a connection. That's not to say that their life is discipline free. They get disciplined plenty. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, I am the, I am the person that I always say, Hey, if you need, if you want to talk about anything, I'm your guy. Right. You want to ask me about sex? I'll tell you everything you want to know. And I can even do it in the most vulgar way because I want you to hear it from me. I don't want you trying to figure this out on your own on the internet, talking to your friends that don't know much more than you do. Come and talk to me. You know, I will tell you anything and everything you want to know. You will never be judged. You will never be shamed. Um, it just, thanks. It just, um, that's the relationship that we have. Um, I'm really big on connecting one-on-one with each boy. I'm really big on rites of passage from my boys. I've taken my two older ones on, on those. Um, I'm big on communication. Um, those are the things that solidify a relationship between a father and a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I had something similar with my sons when they entered manhood, you know, both my two sons are grown now and, uh, and they're both different, you know, every kid is different. And so, you know, you could think you can have a standard for your oldest and then your next one comes along and you're like, well, you're a different kid, you know, <laughs> but I, you know, as, as when they each turned 18, I gave them something special that was a special moment for them just to mark them as a man. And it was, it was kind of fun. It was kind of a neat experience, but, um, here's a question for you. Do you find, have you ever had the, those moments when you screw up? Do your kids ever throw the dad's edge in your face? <laughs> they were like, yeah, you think you're the great dad in the whole world and telling everybody else, but <laughs> they ever do that to you? No, they actually, they actually don't. Um, That's good. I'm, I'm surprised because that, that could be a, that could be the easy button right there. Right. Yeah. So, well, if they watch this episode, they might, so you might not want to. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I keep this level of, of humility with my kids constantly. Um, I am way harder on myself openly than my kids could probably ever be. In fact, my kids are usually the ones who are throwing me the rope because Mm. like when, when I screw up, because I do, I'll go to them and I'll be like, shouldn't have talked to you that way. Right. I, I shouldn't have said some of the things that I said to you. That was really wrong. Right. And, and that's, that, that is completely and totally out of the, my core values as, as your father and as a man right now, when I say I'm apologizing for something, it's not like I, my kids are raised in a great environment. You know, they are not, they're not verbally abused, you know, but like I will lose my cool and lose my temper or raise my voice. Right. From time to time when I don't hone in that skill of patience and I'll come to them and sometimes go overboard with the apology and my kids, especially the older ones, are like, that is fine. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, and, and one of the biggest compliments that I always get, and I get it from my 13-year-old and my 15-year-old a lot, is they'll say, I love my life. 
And then I'll ask them like, well, why do you love your life? Like, I don't know. I love my life because I always feel good being here at home. I always feel good having my friends here at home. And that, that tells me that we're creating this environment, you know, of psychological safety for these kids. My wife and I joke about it. It's a, it's a, it's a curse and it's a blessing at the same time. Our kids always want to be around us. And that's a blessing and a curse because there, right. there are a lot of times where you're just like, you know, um, I'm, I'm, as you're talking to me right now, the reason my voice sounds the way it does is because I'm, I'm recovering from COVID and, um, I'm definitely on the upswing, but we've been quarantined as a family and we have done everything together for the past week and a half, two weeks. And there was one night where my wife, where the boys we told the boys, we're like, why don't you guys go downstairs and watch one of your movies and, and play and allow me and mom to hang out up here tonight, you know, to be just to catch up, right? And my kids are like, no, 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 we, we got to be together as a family. And we're like, we, we, we want that too. But mom and I haven't caught up in like 10 days and we need to, we have to for our relationship, right? And... um but yeah, I, I always, I always watch. Those are the breadcrumbs that I really watch for. You know, do, do, uh, do my kids want to be around us? Do they feel that environment of psychological safety? Do they bring their friends here? Do they talk to me about anything? No holds barred. Um, you know, and those types of things. And I found that in those later teen years, they may rebel against it anyway just because they do it's part of I think it's part of nature you know you may encounter that you might not but you may they might be like oh, I'm done I can't stand this anymore you know especially I think 19 year old mom 19 year olds if they're still kind of around and their moms especially man they just you it's like 19 a switch flips and the mom wants to eat her young you know it's just crazy <laughs> but um you know and if that does happen just to give you a little forewarning because we've been through some of that you know that's a short period and it's not long before they start out on their own and they're paying bills and they're like, you were so right. <laughs> you know? So even if there is a little period in there, if that does happen, don't worry. <laughs> but anyway, I just share that. Cause I know that, you know, uh, we've, we've had a little, we had a little bit of that with each of ours uh, the, the, we have three that are grown. And, uh, there was that time period there where they're like, I want to do it my way. And I have, okay, you go right ahead. Yeah. And it wasn't always easy, but you know, we get there. Yeah. So tell me, uh, um, one of the questions I've got for you, cause I know that you, this is what you're doing with the good dad project and with the dad Alliance, you talk about, um, you know, tools for dads. What, what kind of tools does a dad need in his toolbox? There's a lot of them, you know, and you have to know when to use what tool for what, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna screw a screw into a wall with a hammer. Right. I use that analogy as like, if your wife came to you and was venting to you about something, um, if you go to fix her problem with a hammer, she might be like, all I wanted you to do is listen. And then maybe that's your screwdriver, right? Your screwdriver is your listening skills, right? So I think that it'd be really great to talk about, talk about the kids in particular and, and kids in marriage, because, um, you know, I, I know that I talk about mindset quite a bit on my own. And, uh, I think that might be a hole that our listeners would appreciate would be to talk specifically about the kids, especially. I think that's, I think the thing that really, uh, attracted me to what you're putting out is that's that parenting message is, is 
it's not out there. I think most parents just send their kids off to school and expect the kid to school to raise them, you know? So, yeah. so, so definitely I think is a, that's, that's a big need that I think would be good to talk about. Sure. So when it comes to kids, this here, here are some of the pillars that are most important, right? Uh, kids, kids need three things from us. They need to feel seen. They need to feel heard and they need to feel that they have an environment of psychological safety. Those are three things that that's how kids thrive. Seen, heard, environment of psychological safety. And we can talk about each one of those. How you, how you develop those is how you number one, interact with them and how you communicate with them. Now, what I can tell, I'll tell you what not to do. What not to do is when your kids come to you to talk to you and use the word why. Get the word why completely out of your vocabulary. So if your kid comes to you and is like, hey, dad, um, I got a D on the science test, right? And you're like, wait, what, why'd you get a D on the science test? What, why did that happen? Now, that's a knee-jerk reaction that a lot of dads would have, right? I've, I've had it. Now, a communication skill is using something, you take the why out. It's like, hmm, you got a D? Okay, uh, tell me about that. Now, I just did the same thing that I did asking why. Okay, you got a D, tell me, tell me, uh, tell me more. Well, I got a D, you know, like the, the test was really, really hard, blah, 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 blah. Now, I'm not gonna sit there and be like, well, how much did you study? You know, I'm, I'm gonna sit there and be like, okay, I was like, what do you think would have made some of the questions maybe easier? I, I probably, I should have studied a little more. Okay, great, great. How long did you study? I studied about 30 minutes. Okay, and you got a D. You studied for 30 minutes, you got a D. Um, what do you think would have been the optimal time to study for this test? I probably could have used like at least an hour. Okay, great. So sounds like, you got a D because maybe you feel like you didn't put the time in that you needed to. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Well, what did we learn from this? Well, we learned that like, I just need to study more the next time I have a test. Yeah. I, I, man, good on you. Perfect. When's your next test? My next test is next Friday. I've got a test in English. Okay, great. So how would it feel if I maybe just held you accountable to make sure that you put the time in the next time you have a test. How does that feel? And that would be great. Okay, let's do just that. And that's how you have that. Con so what I did in that moment, now what, no, what I can tell you what I used to do is be like, why'd you get a D on the test? Why well, didn't study? Why didn't you study? You know better. You know you're supposed to study. Come on, right? Well, the next time you have a test, I'm gonna make you sit down and I'm gonna make you study an hour. And oh, by the way, your phone is mine until next Friday. Now, what did I just do? I laid down the hammer. You think that kid's going to come and tell me they got a D on the next test? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are ways that you can, um, that you can create this environment of psychological safety. When it comes to something like a test, right? I don't necessarily worry about the disciplinary action um, because you can they can self-correct that, right? But you have to allow them to learn through questions that you're guiding them through. Because the moment you start telling them how to do something, right, in a very demeaning way is the moment that they make the decision that I am not hearing you, right? Number one, 
And number two, I'm sure as heck ain't coming coming to you the next time I get a bad grade. He's fine. I love it. I love it. Nothing wrong with that. That actually, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they always like, especially him, he's, that's my seven-year-old. He is notorious for podcast bombing. Uh, I, had, I love it. I had Chris Voss on uh, the podcast uh, about a year and a half ago. He's the chief hostage negotiator for the FBI. And, um, and he came walking in and all of a sudden Chris is like, who's this guy? And then Lawson and Chris end up having like this, like two minute dialogue. It was hysterical. That's so. awesome. <laughs> For anybody that's listening instead of watching, uh, Larry's son walked in and was waving at me, which is kind of cool. I love it. I think it's really neat. Yeah. And you notice <laughs> I didn't really miss a beat. It's like, like, this is normal. Like, yeah, totally it is. It is. That's, that is life, you know? Yeah. So um, it sounds to me when you're describing that kind of form of, of parenting, I mean, you're really, that's probably more valuable than any school education that they're going to get because what you're teaching them is how to solve the problem for themselves instead of how to, you know, just be disciplined. You're teaching them how to self-discipline. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, when it comes, I'm, 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 I'm a big proponent. I'm a big fan of natural consequences, you know, like I'll sit down with my kids and be like, listen, I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to punish you. Um, and then I'll, I'll ask them, I'll be like, I want you to think about something though for a moment. I actually had to have this very talk with my 13-year-old about grades. Um, my 13-year-old is one of those kids that I hated growing up because he never studies and he gets B's and A's on everything. Mm-hmm. And, that was me. Uh, oh God, I hate it. I, 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 <laughs> I had to make homemade flashcards, hours <laughs> of studying just to get a C or a B. Um, but anyway, so my, my 13 year old got an F in his ELA class, his English language arts class and never, he's never gotten an F report card came home and this was for the semester, right? This was in December and I saw his report card and he came home and I was pissed because he got an F for the quarter as well. And now got an F for a semester. And I was the, now the dad, the, the freaking daddy bear in me, right. Wanted to just lash out and just you know, barrel right into him, right? You know better. This is not you, you know? So he came home and I was like, hey, I was like, uh, I got your report card today. He's like, how'd I do? I was like, pretty good, pretty good. I was like, you got A's and B's and everything. Great job. You did get a grade that I don't know if you realized what you got. I was like, do, do you know what you got in ELA? He's like, yeah, I got a C. I was like, you didn't. He's like, what did I get? I was, yeah, I was like, you got an F for the semester, Mason. And you could just see like, like he was just floored, right? And he's not a crier. He's a pretty tough kid. He's a football player. And these tears just welled up in his eyes. Now he's being harder on himself than I could ever be, right? And I said, Mason, what happened? And he's like, <sighs> he's like, I had a huge assignment and I didn't turn it in on time. It was worth half my grade. Okay. All right. And I took him through the same thing. What did we learn here? Right. And then I took that a step further. I was like, listen, man, I'm not going to punish you because I know that this is not you, right? This was a mess. But number one, let's talk about how we fix it. Number, number one. Number two, um, I want you to think about something for a moment. You got an F for the semester. You get an F for next semester. You got to take summer school. 
what would be your ideal dream summer, summer break be like? He's like, I would do this, this, and this. I'm like, you think we could do that if you were in summer school? What would that look like if you're in summer school? You got to go every day. He's like, no, I, I wouldn't be able to do those things. I'm like, okay. So what would it feel like if you, you know, pass with flying colors next semester and we didn't have to worry about summer school? What would that summer feel like? It would feel amazing. So like really leveraging the natural consequences of what could happen versus or what did happen or what's going to happen naturally versus what am I going to do to lay the iron fist down, right? Yeah, definitely. I found an issue that we've been having uh, with our kids too is sometimes these teachers aren't processing the grades in time. So they'll turn in assignments on time, yep. but then they don't, then the grade book comes out and it's like, why do you have an F on right. your progress report? And they're like, I have no idea. And then, you know, then you talk to the teacher and they're like, well, it'll probably be an A once I get everything. And I'm like, that doesn't ever make sense to me. Cause you know, we always had like, you started with an A and then you lost points is kind of almost how it worked, you know? So, but, and then, you know, you're trying to not teach them how to be, uh, you know, you, you want to, I'm trying to teach them how to take personal responsibility, but then when it actually is somebody else's fault, <laughs> that's always a little tricky too, but oh, yeah. we're working through it. Right. Yeah. So, um, do you, do you have a lot of rules for your kids at all? Do you find that, you know, having, Hey, you've got to do X, Y, and Z or have chores and things like that. What, what does that look like for you? So my kid, yeah, we do have rules. We do have boundaries. Um, what we do is, so our kids, I'll give you, I'll give, we have diehard rules around screens. Um, our kids, our, our two older kids do have phones, um, but they're dumb phones. They're iPhones with Safari not on it. Mm. Uh, they can watch TikTok and they can watch YouTube, but they only get an hour of that a day. And then it completely, that, those apps shut down. They can't access them. They can send a request for more time, which they usually don't get. Um, but we do allow them time and space to do what I call completely ineffective things. Like, right, because you can't always be pushing a kid to be super effective all the time. They need those breaks. TikTok drives me crazy. I don't even know why someone would waste their time on that. You know, some of the things that some of the YouTubers that they subscribe to, like, I'm just like, like, like unspeakable. I'm like, are there people really this dumb in the world that do this crap? Like, that's kind of like my view of it. However, it's also part of being a kid. So screens are a big deal. Uh, we, um, we have what's called a, a screen candy and a screen vegetable. <laughs> screen candy is something like TikTok, right? It has, it's just nonsense. A screen vegetables were like, hey, let's leverage a screen to learn something new, right? There's all kinds of educational things we can do on screens. Um, the other thing too is my kids, they have, I mean, this may sound very lenient, but during the school year, they have one chore a day. That's it. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of my kids learning responsibility. So when they come home from school, they cannot get on a screen. They have to do a chore that we assign them. When it comes to dinner time, everybody has a job. Somebody clears the table, somebody sets the table, somebody empties the dishwasher, somebody's cleaning the dishes, somebody's doing the countertop, somebody's sweeping the floor. We all pitch in. Um, when it comes to, um, I, I do have rules um, around, I mean, I, my, we're probably more strict on our kids than the average. You know, I've heard 
my son, my, my kids will tell me like my friends of mine get eight hours a day of screen time. I'm like, well, good for them. Not here. Um, the other thing too, is that, um, my kids, we, we enjoy having their friends here so we can get to know who they're hanging with and we can always create that environment here where the kids can always be here. We've actually built our home around that type of environment. We just got done with a big backyard project where it's a huge gathering space back there. And we did that on purpose. Um, and I'll tell you kind of a funny story. So, um, my neighbor up the street just bought a brand new C8 uh, Corvette, like one of the ones that look like the Lamborghinis, right? Mm -hmm. And my 15-year-old and I were in our backyard with this new project and it were, you know, it's huge back there and the kids are all playing and we've got pizza, and we've got soda and we're playing music. We've got, uh, it sounds expensive, but it's not. It's actually really cheap. We have an outdoor theater out there. We just, we bought a $150 blow up screen. You plug it in, it blows up. We've got, I've had a projector that I bought super cheap a long time ago. We've got speakers out there. So we'll watch a movie out there. And, um, and my son goes, Hey man, like what, why don't, when are you going to buy a nice car? <laughs> Cause I don't, I don't have a nice car. I will never have a nice car. I, I drive a 2016 Nissan Altima. Um, I have no desire to buy a new car. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, he's like, you know, you, you got the money like to buy a Corvette, like so-and-so, like, why don't you buy a Corvette? I was like, I did buy a Corvette. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, you're sitting in it. And we were, <laughs> on our, we were in our backyard, you know? And I was like, and your friends who are all here enjoying like the music and the movie and the pizza, they're sitting in my Corvette. And he's like, I don't understand. And I was like, well, According to the person that I am and what I value, um, I spend my money where my family gathers and connects, not on toys. So like, sure, could I buy a Corvette? Of course I could. But then I only have you in that Corvette. None of your friends, not your mom, not your brothers. And what use would that Corvette even be? Now we've got seven of your friends, seven of your brother's friends. We're playing music. We're having a blast out here. I'd much rather spend my Corvette here, wouldn't you? And he's like, yeah, good choice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, um, those are just some of the things that we do, like the environment that we create. And then as far as like, I'll, I'll say the other thing too, around boundaries, rules, um, we speak to each other respectfully here. Um, the one thing that I do not tolerate is uh, you never disrespect your, your mother. That's my wife. Um, she comes before you do. Now, when I say that, I mean, like, I'm talking like fractions of a millifraction of a millifraction, right? But I'm married first and a father second. And the rule is, is you do not disrespect my wife in this house. And to be honest, we've never had a problem with that. Never had my kids talk back, yell, scream, do something like where you're just like, whoa. Um, but they know that that rule, they f then they follow it very well. Speaking of which, you know, we talked a little bit about how marriage is something that you know well that you like to talk about. Um, you know, I kind of am of the mindset that the most important thing you can give your kids is to love their mom. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think you probably agree with that. How do you, how do you balance, um, you know, the pressures of being a dad with, with being a husband? How do you make that work? I don't look at, so number one, I don't look at it as pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, I look at it as a responsibility that I thoroughly enjoy. 
So like, for instance, um, this, this may sound narcissistic and I don't mean it to be because I'm not narcissistic, but um, what I'll do when we're together as a family is sometimes I'll watch myself in the third person. In other words, I want to watch myself the way my kids might be seeing me. So like, for instance, I will purposely and intentionally compliment their mom in front of them, right? I will purposely and intentionally be over the top affectionate with their mom in front of them because I want them to see that, right? If if their mom walks in, you know, to the room and she's all dialed up, I'll be like, my gosh, you just look breathtaking, right? And my kids, when my wife walks into a room all dressed up, they'll actually wait for me to say something at this point because they know me so well, because they, they always like to, they always like to joke with me because like, I always have this look on my face of like, Oh my God. (laughs) Right. Um, so the other thing too is, and and I'll, I'll make sure to do that when my wife is not dressed up as well. Right. Just look beautiful today. Or I will acknowledge and appreciate her for something like she just, she spent all day yesterday putting together this 15 foot by 13 and a half foot fort in our basement for the boys because we're in quarantine right now and over dinner i told my wife i was like i just want to honor you what an amazing mom you are that you took time to tape these boxes together and to make a six bedroom fort that's 15 by 13 and a half feet and just such a really cool experience you know and i want to make sure my boys hear that stuff right because that's how they're going to learn you know, how to treat their women when they get older. Exactly. I think that might be what is lacking with a lot of men that didn't have the dad is they don't understand what that looks like. And then they get caught in the cycles, you know, and I think about, you know, your, your stepdad and, you know, the other men, you know, they're caught in the cycles because nobody showed them how it's supposed to be, you know? No one did. And the other thing too, that I think my wife and I barely fight, um, which to be honest, I'll be honest with you. Um, I think we're doing our kids a big disservice by not allowing to see us disagree. Cause in, I'm just being real with you. We just don't. Um, but two years ago, I'll never forget it. We were out on our deck and my wife and I were having a disagreement, a very respectful one. I've known her for 25 years. We've never called each other a name ever. We've never hit below the belt. Um, we've always used a tone with each other that is no different than how you and I are talking right now. My son, who's 15 now, was 13 at the time he came up and we were on the deck and my wife and I were, he could tell that we were disagreeing. And he's like, it was completely foreign to him. He goes, are you guys, are you guys fighting? I was like, no, we're disagreeing. He's like, are you going to get a divorce? I was like, no. I was like, no, we're not getting a divorce. I was like, you know what? Pull up a seat. I want you to see this. I want you to see how adults work things out because you and your brother will just go and punch each other, right? But this is how adults get through. And I was like, and I want you to take note of something. You won't see me and mom call each other names. You won't see us yell at each other. You'll see us be very respectful. And when the other person is talking, the other person listens. I want you to really take this in and feel free to ask us questions. And my son sat there for 15 minutes and watched me and my wife argue, argue, quote unquote, but he did. And we worked it out. And I looked at him and I was like, what did you see? What, what did you learn? And he was able to, to share some things that he saw that we didn't realize that we were even doing. 
um, good, good things. <clears throat> he was able to compare it to how he conflicts, you know, re uh, resolves conflict with his brother. He's like, yeah, we don't do that. We just yell. Well, it doesn't work, does it? So, yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So one of the questions I like to ask all my guests is this, what is your best advice for men? Best advice for men is become a master communicator. Now there are several elements in there that I, and I'm just going to name them off. Um, being a master communicator, most men will tell you they want, they'll use two words when they talk about communication. I want more or better, <laughs> more or better. That doesn't solve a thing. It's almost like if, if I, Josh, if I was your doctor and you came to me as a patient and I said, Hey, Josh, I want you to get healthy. And you're like, what does that mean? Do I have cancer? Do I have diabetes? Do I have high cholesterol? Like, do I have gout? What do I have? Right? Like, no, no, just, just go get more healthy, go get in better health. And that would not give you any direction whatsoever. And I'm a big proponent of, if you don't know the skills, you got to learn the skills. Being a master communicator are these skills. Okay. Number one, you have to be an incredible listener. Okay. So you have to be quiet and you have to listen, right? And then you have to uh, reflect back and, and allow the person to know that you're listening. Because the most important thing for people is to feel seen, heard, and connected, especially your wife. So using a skill set called tactical empathy is a big one. Chris Voss teaches this tactical empathy. Tactical empathy is allowing the other person to feel seen and heard, right? Um, not solving your wife's problems. Don't fix it. Please, for the love of God, if, if you take anything from what I'm going to tell you in the next two or three minutes, don't fix your wife's problems unless, number one, you ask or she asks you. Sometimes if I'm confused, I'll just ask, hey, you know, do you need me to listen? Or do you want, do you want to talk about solutions? What feels best to you right now? And my wife will tell me, I don't want solutions. I just want to vent. Cool. That's what I'm here for. So uh, emotional validation is another skill set that's super important. Emotional validation is where the other person knows not only that they're being listened to, but that you are labeling what they're probably feeling. So like, sounds like you might be angry right now. No, I'm not angry. I'm actually really sad. Okay. Feels like you're sad. Tell me more, right? That's emotional validation. Emotional validation is using the other person's words to allow them to know that you're hearing them, right? Uh, the other thing too is using things like labels, uh, mirrors. Mirrors is a great way to ask why without ever using the word why. So like if my wife, if I come home, my wife is like, oh my God, I've had a horrible day today. Like one of my first knee-jerk reactions would be like, what do you mean you had a horrible day? Why? Right? Nothing puts someone in a corner more than that word why. But if I say, if I say something like you had a horrible day, all I did was, re was repeat the last three words that she said. And then she's going to tell me why you had a horrible day. Usually, yeah. usually my wife says I've had a horrible day. And I'm like, okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> okay. Bye. I'll be out cutting grass. <laughs> no, but if she says, Hey, I, I'll give you an example of, of all the things that I just said, and I'm going to tell you how, how they were used. Okay. So if I come home, my wife's like, Oh my God, I had a horrible day today. You had a horrible day. That's a mirror. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had a horrible day. Um, the kids like, 
were so relentless today. Mason, I couldn't get him off of his phone and he argued with me. It drove me crazy. I, I want I yelled at him. I took his phone away. It drove me crazy. And then, you know, the, the Lawson, he's just so upset because he wants to go play with a friend and then he got in trouble and then he had to go to his room and, and it was just, Oh, it's just a mess. I felt like all I did was yell all day. Man feels like that feels like today was incredibly overwhelming. Now, what I just used there was tactical empathy. Feels like what happened today was incredibly overwhelming with a label. That overwhelming is a label. In that moment, I didn't fix a thing. I emotionally validated where my wife was in that moment. How can I best support you right now? What feels right? You want to talk? Talk more? Do you want to get out of here? You know, do you want to go for a quick happy hour, me and you? Do you want to go meet your friends? Do you want to go for a run? What feels best to you? Right. And those are, those are options, right? Because sometimes when someone's in a super emotionally charged state, sometimes they just want to hear like, Hey, what, what are, what are the things I can, what levers can I pull right now? Can I sit here and talk? Can I get away from the situation? What do I need to do? But I didn't tell her to do a thing. You know, I asked, right. So those are, those are, and we, here's the cool thing. When you're using those skills, like emotional validation, tactical empathy, mirrors and labels, it's going to make you a better listener because you're listening for key things that you can reflect back to that person, right? You can't do that unless you're actively listening, right? Those tools sound like they are extremely valuable. And I know that uh, even myself, I'm struggling to learn some of those things as I, uh, I tend to be very problem solving and analytical and, I can hear the things she's saying and I can almost always see the clear solution, you know, yep, of course. And you know, the kids are being bad today. I'll be right back. And then I'm going to go spank them all, you know, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> yep, you know, yep. and that doesn't necessarily answer what her issue is, you know? And so what I I'm working on that and I'm learning that. And it's actually, I think it's been a little more difficult for me than I thought that it would be. And, uh, yeah, so those are tools that I am learning and working on. And I have found that the that and the other thing that I've been trying to do is look at where, especially when, like if she's communicating out of hurt or brokenness, which sometimes can happen, then I have to look at it and look at the source of that. Where's that coming from? You know, this isn't my wife talking, this is her you know, my, when she was younger and when she's hurt and where it comes from. And so I have to just back up for a minute here and validate and listen and not crush it, you know, cause if I start looking at what's happening in the moment rather than where it comes from, man, I can get, it, it becomes a mess real fast, you know? Yeah, it, it absolutely will. If, if any of your listeners just Google, just go to YouTube and Google, it's not about the nail. Mm -hmm. It is the most hysterical and video and, and, and so accurate of, and, and just not to spoil it, but there's this man, this wife, they're sitting on a couch. This woman literally has a nail sticking out of her head. Right. And she's talking to her husband and she's like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I have this pain, like this, this headache, like, and it's just, it's like right here in the middle and you can see like the look on the guy's face, like, 
what, what is wrong with you? He's like, you know, he goes, well, you know, you do have a nail sticking right out of your head. And she's like, it's not about the nail. It's, it's just not about the nail. You never listen to me. And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's about the nail. And she's like, it's not about you. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And then finally she's like describing everything again. He's like, that's and in a very demeaning way. I don't, I don't, I do not suggest you talk to your wife like this. He's like, right. that sounds tough. And she's like, Oh my gosh, you understand Thank you so much for listening to me. Right. And the guy is looking at her like she's nuts. Right. Now I don't expect you. Yeah. I, I do not recommend that you listen to your wife that way. She'll pick up on that in a millisecond, right. but it is a, it's a very appropriate video for the communication style between a man and a wife. And, you know, I know, there are some men that I know who operate at that same kind of communication style. I mean, I think generally we operate a certain way. We're problem solvers, you know, generally, but there's always that one guy that's an exception to the rule. And uh, so it's, it's a tool. Heck, even, I mean, even we can act out of that sometimes, you know what I mean? Like any one of us, any moment can, can act in the, you know, when we're overwhelmed with emotion or whatever, we can slip into those same kinds of, seeking the validation, wanting to be heard rather than wanting to problem solve. And so I think those skills are going to be helpful for us, not even just with our wife, but across the board. So, um, and, you know, and really this is kind of where I think it's a great place to talk about how can people learn more of these tools and maybe learn them from you. I know you've got a lot of that information available. If they want to find that from you, where's the best place to find that? Yeah. So, um, right now, as it stands, we're actually creating courses around this. They're not out yet. They'll probably be out in September. Uh, we're going to have a course on conflict resolution. Uh, we're going to have a course on connection and intimacy and overall communication. So that will be, those will be some powerful courses that men can take on their own. Um, I'm a big proponent. This may sound self-serving. I don't mean to be. It's just the way people learn. Okay. Um, you can listen to a podcast. You, know, you can listen to an audiobook. You can take a course, right? The, the issue with that is when you do that, you're exposing yourself to an idea, right? Or a lesson. The, the gap becomes, how do I go put this into practice now and make the pivots that I need to make when I go to put this in practice? Because it's not going to be flawless or perfect. There are things that are, if you're, commu- if you're doing, if you're trying to use a conflict resolution skill and it goes sideways, then what do you do? right? I'm a big proponent of being in community. Men are tribal beings. And unfortunately, we have a lot of men who are walking the planet who are living this quiet life of desperation and isolation. We're surrounded physically by people, but mentally and emotionally, we don't have that tribe. We are, like it or not, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Dad Edge Alliance is our community where we help men optimize what we call the five dimensions of being a husband, man, and father, right? That's your marriage, that's your parenting, leadership, your finances and your health. Um, what we do in there is we teach men these skills, right? And we do it in a community fashion, a group coaching environment through experiential learning. That way, when like, let's say we're teaching conflict resolution and they go out and try to resolve conflict and they're like, Hey guys, like I came back and they came back and be like, Hey, I did this and this. And then my wife said this, like, now what do I do? Oh, well, that's, now try this, do this, pivot this way, pivot this way, pivot this way. When you have community and guidance like that, you become way more efficient, way more efficient and proficient quicker, right? Than trying to learn something like this on your own, right? Or trying to read a book, 
you know, that you'll probably forget about the skill set the next week anyway. Um, so if, if men are curious about that, uh, you can go to gooddadproject.com forward slash alliance. Um, depending on when this airs, you might have to go to the dadedge.com forward slash alliance because uh, we're moving everything over there. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Larry, I really appreciate you being on the show and you've had some fantastic insight. It's been a, an amazing conversation and uh, I feel like I've learned a lot and I know our listeners have learned a lot as well. Thank you, man. This was a pleasure. And by the way, uh, just for your listeners out there, uh, Hey, Josh, Josh did not pay me to say this. He had no idea that I would say this, but you know, Josh is, Josh is the real deal, man. He does this podcast out of the kindness of his heart. Uh, you can't ask for a better host on this topic. So if you guys are here and listening, uh, just know that Josh does this just very heartfelt, very genuine. And, you know, he is here to obviously change the game for men in the world. So thank you for what you're doing, Josh. And well, thank you as well, man. I appreciate your work and it's good stuff. And uh, yeah. you guys go check out Larry and see the work he's doing. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. And uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future, man. Sounds great, my man. All right. Get better from COVID too. That doesn't sound like fun. So we've been there. It wasn't, it wasn't a blast. <laughs> it's not a blast. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm up on the upswing now, so I'm okay. That's but, good. but yeah, that's good. Not fun. Awesome. Well, get better, man. And good All talking right, to you. you too. As always guys, if you appreciate what you're seeing here at Manlyhood, all you've got to do is be a part of it. You don't just have to watch it. You don't just have to listen to it. You can interact and be a part of things. So head over to our Facebook group, the Manlyhood Man Cave, weigh in on the discussions there. If you want to ask a question that we can feature on our podcast or on our show or on our social media, there's a place on our website, manlyhood.com, where you can do that. We've got some resources for you and we're working on even more resources. I'm really working hard on a program to help men be better men, help them be better fathers or whatever area you want to improve in life. I'm working on that and I'm hoping to bring you that uh, early 2022. But in the meantime, we do have some resources for you. If you go to Amazon, we've got some books there. You go to the manlyhood.com slash store. We've got some uh, t-shirts, hoodies, books that you can have that'll help you to level up on your journey as a man. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Please don't forget to support Larry Hagner. His work at the Dad Edge is phenomenal. Love you guys. Appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.